Hello everybody, welcome back. It's really good to have you with us again and we are pleased to say that we've got a very full podcast room today, haven't we Tom? Yeah, we've got a total of three guests, which is slightly more than we normally have and should make some quite interesting discussions. It should do. So I I am going to introduce them, but I'm going to ask them to tell us about what they do. Starting with my colleague Jo Bowers. Welcome Jo. Thank you. Um, I'd like to introduce you to Claire Douglas. Welcome Claire. Hello. And to Lucy Matthews. Welcome, Lucy. Hello. And all three today are going to be talking to us in detail about what I believe is a pretty much a passion project of all of yours, which is reading for pleasure. So it kind of completes our suite of episodes this year in and around literacy development. We've had a few episodes this year on that theme, and it's really great to be finishing off with a deep discussion about reading for pleasure. So, Joe, first of all, just tell us about what you do, and then we'll hand over to to Claire and Lucy who can tell us what they do and then maybe we'll go back to you Joe. you can tell us what is this reading for pleasure deal all about okay thank you yes my name is Joe Bowers and I've been working at Cardiff Met now for I think I'm in my 10th year could be my 11th I'm not sure I came here as a primary school teacher where I've been teaching for 19 years and primarily it was to train teachers to become primary school teachers so I do other things at the university as well but for I think for the purpose of this podcast I'll tell you about my teaching role within the university and that's teaching on the PGC primary in the literacy language and communications seminars and lectures one of my passions throughout my whole career as a primary school teacher and as a lecturer has always been children's literature and children reading for pleasure. So that forms a big part of the work that I do with the students here. So not only within the seminars that I teach do I incorporate that into the work that I do with the students, but also run lots of different enrichment and enhanced activities with the students to support developing their subject knowledge of children's literature to then encourage children to become readers for pleasure who then choose to become lifelong readers. Thanks for that, Joe. And we'll dig deep into that uh, in more detail in a moment. But I'm going to turn to my right and say hello to you, Claire. Where are you joining us from today? So I work in uh, Newport at a primary school. I graduated in 2018 at the PGC uh, at Cardiff Met. That's how I met Lucy and that's how I met Joe. And I work in the foundation phase in Clyde Primary School. I've got a great contract which sees me in a reception class, a year one class and a year two class in the space of a working week. So a really lovely combination of, of foundation phase. Yeah. Well, you are most welcome to our podcast. Thanks for joining us. And last but not least, Lucy, where are you joining us from? Um, I'm from Lanedon Primary School, just around the corner. Um, and uh, as Claire mentioned, I was on the PGC Primary with her and graduated in 2018. Um, recently became a recently qualified teacher, having just finished my NQT year at Christmas. And now I'm in a year three class within the primary school and enjoying doing a lot of the reading for pleasure work there as well. So if nothing else, we've got a room full of teachers who are fully qualified, who have survived and are Mm. advocates of the profession. But more importantly, we're going to talk about reading for pleasure. So Jo, maybe you could tell us a bit about what brought you all together and why you're all together in this room to talk to us today. 
Uh, yes, certainly. We come together on lots of guises. Really, I never let students go when they when they end their when they end their PGC year. That's just the start of their career. So there's always lots of opportunities to come back and, and engage. And the key one of those is the reading for pleasure um, reading group that I run throughout the year, which is to support support teachers' subject knowledge of children's literature to actually develop that reading community and that reading engagements, which um, we can talk about in a bit more depth later on. If you'd like to and Claire Douglas is an NQT who runs that CPD group with me we run six sessions across the year and each one has a different focus but all of them is around actually developing a good um, research based and research informed pedagogy around reading for pleasure and Lucy is one of the teachers that comes regularly to the group. The group is in its second year. We ran a whole six uh, sessions last year, uh, really successfully. Um, we're now in our second year and I'm pleased to say that Claire is still loving coming as my partner in crime, running the sessions. And Lucy tells me she's loving coming I'm as, still a, there, as a so I must student love it. <laughs> teacher. Alongside the Reading for Pleasure group, I do lots of other things around books. And one of them is to uh, shortlist and select winning books for the only Welsh Book Award in Wales, which is the Teen Annual Book Award. And once a year, we meet and we always invite an NQT teacher. So last year, Lucy, sorry, Claire joined us as an NQT on that shortlisting panel. And also from there, there's an opportunity for teachers to engage in shortlist, using those shortlisted books as teacher shadowing of the books within the, with the pupils in their class to see what the pupils' responses is and think what the pupils like about those books and are they engaging with them. And so the teachers within the group and Claire and Lucy did it last year and they're doing it this year, take away the books and they work in the classroom with those shortlisted books. They also write resources for some of the books that then we share around in the UK as well as Wales. So different kinds of activities like that, which is not just about their own staff development as teachers, teachers and also to support their own love of books but also to inform their kind of reading rich classrooms with their children. Thank you Jo and I think my next question has to be to Claire and Lucy really and I want you to cast your your memories back to when you started to train because obviously you've come on this long journey now to a position where you're actually co-delivering you're kind of part of um, you're you're the converted to reading for pleasure but cast your minds back to when this started what was it about reading for pleasure that really captivated you and convinced you that this was something that was going to be really important to your classrooms? Um, I think the, the literacy seminars we had with Joe initially as students were were fantastic. It was a highlight of a Friday. Joe would always bring new um, wonderful titles and share and often read a story to us as well. And that really reignited my passion for children's literature as well. My children had grown up, so the bedtime story kind of routine had gone as well. And I just felt, fell in love again with reading short stories and picture books in particular, I think. That really led on to us uh, becoming involved with the UK Literacy Association Awards and as students both Lucy and I shadowed that process with Joe's support. On the back of that Joe encouraged me to put forward a student sponsorship uh, for the UKLA as well and I was really lucky to be chosen one of four other PGC students that year so we got to go to the awards uh, ceremony in Cardiff. Um, it was it was just 
such an amazing opportunity and it opened a door to a really wonderful literacy community to me and and I'm hooked ever since really so to be able to go to meet the authors of the books that we'd shortlisted and just immerse yourself in this wonderful children's literacy world was just amazing and and that's what keeps coming me coming back really so for that hook and it and it was about the relationships as well I suppose graduating I didn't want that relationship and that network that you know we'd carved to finish so it's setting up the group with Joe has been a fantastic way to maintain those relationships and to still keep because I think part of me wanted that kind of appetite fed and continued to be fed after um the PGC had finished Mm. so this was just it brought all of those things together for me really so it's opened a fantastic door and uh, I'm I'm not going anywhere (laughs) (laughs) and you see what was it for you that that really captured your imagination I think I'd agree with Claire um the community and the the relationships around it but also I think as I grew older and became an adult I sort of felt like I had to read adult books you know I had to be a grown-up and read grown-up books and then when I came back on the PGCE it reignited my understanding of our passion for children's literature and almost my understanding that I'm a teacher of children it is okay for me actually to love children's books and to love them probably more than I love adults books and that love of books just you can't keep it in you have to share that with other people you have to share that with the children in your class with you have to have somebody to bounce that passion off so it's just a perfect opportunity to be able to meet with you know like-minded people in the group as I did when I was in university and keep that passion bouncing off each other rather than letting it sort of out into a an empty cavern when nobody's supporting it <laughs> and the thing I, I guess I'm I'm struggling with as a lay person is I really like this idea of reading for pleasure and I wonder what happens then when there is a pedagogy around it teaching reading for pleasure so how do you kind of align that kind of pedagogy is it there's a right and a wrong way to to teach how to read for pleasure with just reading and enjoying and just doing so talk to me about the pedagogy well I think the reading for pleasure book group is not just a standalone group it's part of a much wider network and it's um, in partnership with um, it's led by I should say the Open University and the UKLA and the research informed work that Teresa Kremin Professor Teresa Kremin has been doing in the Open University And our Reading for Pleasure group is just one of over 90 groups sort of UK-wide and internationally that are are running. And we're all consistently giving that same message. And the messages we're giving is that actually there is a research-informed practice. The research has been done. The research is ongoing and it's looking into those things. And those are that actually teachers need a considerable knowledge of children's literature and other texts. It's shown that teachers need knowledge of children's reading practices so that we know what children's reading practices are within the classroom. The research has also shown that we need um, a reading for pleasure pedagogy which encompasses social reading environments within the classroom and within the school so it's a whole school based community as well as school a classroom based community that it also encompasses reading aloud informal book talk inside text talk um, and those recommendations that kind of book blethering that we have around books so it's more than just the reading and um, one-to-one and that in that alone time oh you can't throw a, a, a word out there called 
book blethering without justifying what that is. I'm excited by that already. What oh, do you mean by that? Well, it's kind of, that stemmed from us as from the whole Reading for Pleasure book group around the work that Professor Teresa Kremen has been doing. And really, when we talk to each other about books, one, when you read a good book, what's the first thing you want to do? Blether about it. Yeah. <laughs> It's as simple as that. You want to tell somebody about it. You want to share it. You want to say, you need to read this book. You will love it. I might say to you, Emma, that you might like a different book to Tom, but equally, there'll be something we can blether about together. So it's that community, not just within the classroom, but it's within the teachers, within the staff room. It's within the school. It's in the corridors. It's between classes. So, And as, as well as the independent reading time, it's having that book community and that book blethering which I hope you you knew exactly what I meant when I explained it because you enjoy that as well I don't do you? Yeah. I do it's playful and also that the research has shown that teachers need to be reading teachers teachers who read and readers who teach and and to also be part of developing that reciprocal and interacting reading community and actually that's what the reading for pleasure teacher book group does it's on my own, I can share that with students. And as Lucy said, then she goes out into the world. She needs somewhere else to feed that back. So we come into the group. And now I'm hoping Lucy and Claire are making wider networks with other teachers and other schools. And each one goes back to their schools and develops their communities back there. And so it grows. So um, I'm hoping that gives you some idea around the pedagogy. Yeah, it really does. I think for those of us who are not primary specialists I suppose if, if we know one thing about primary it's that literacy is a very very big deal in primary and has been for a long time you know we're all familiar with the idea that you know there's pretty much daily literacy going on I'm just interested to know from anybody really where the reading for pleasure sits within this big kind of deal of literacy does literacy every day always equal pleasure does it always equal reading is it an an, uh, an antidote to that kind of pressure what's what's going on there I think for a lot of the children in our classes and across our schools and primary and secondary, we have to understand as teachers that, and I think this was something that we actually learned on the PGCE course, I remember it emblazoned across a PowerPoint, every teacher is a teacher of reading. You know, you could be a secondary school math teacher, but ultimately if you're engaging your children with different types of texts, different types of, you know, stimulus to engage their learning, you are also a teacher of reading. Um, and in terms of, you said, Tom, about is um, is literacy always pleasure? You know, of course it's not. There'll always be the children who don't engage with reading, who find it difficult. But it's about, you know, Emma, when you say about the pedagogy, it's about finding ways of teaching those children that reading is pleasurable. So yes, they might not enjoy their literacy lesson, but they have time during the day or time during that lesson to engage with a text, to engage with a picture book or to engage with a poem that they enjoy and that helps them to see that reading is a pleasure activity. It's not a plug, plug, plug through school every mm. day. Mm. That hour of what can be quite painful for some children who don't read. Which is re really reassuring to hear and, and just a, a wider message of permission to uh, to do that, actually, particularly for some of our, our secondary listeners. And that was going to be my next question, actually, is as busy classroom teachers, um, and as you kind of progressed through from PGC to fully qualified teacher status, did you find it difficult to maintain the reading for pleasure endeavours that you do and, and on a basic level your own reading for pleasure once that kind of workload expectation ramped up 
I think that's one of the benefits of the group is that it's there's a fresh supply of new books coming through as well. We've got this lovely book share book box that comes every every time we meet as well. So there's always new and exciting titles and people who want to share what they've done with the text with you. So that will inform, you know, so you make time because there's always new and fresh ideas coming through and that's one of the lovely things about the group really is that it's the conversation that goes around the book you know at the end of the session we'll lay all the books out and it's just like a little lending library really you go you bring it back you share what you've done with the book others will share with you so that for me has been a really useful way of keeping that fresh and making sure that I do invest the time because there's always a nice new bright shiny book in the box it is difficult of course you know when you're busy working we you know we've got families we've got social lives to try and maintain but it again it's you make time and you might not always be able to make enough time I've got a stack of books on my bedside table that I haven't got to but it's not also the pleasure of it is not beating myself up about it because it's reading for pleasure I shouldn't feel like I have to have read that book and that's the pleasure for me is knowing that I can read those when I want and I will when I when I want to that's an interesting perspective I like mm. that because that there are those have to reads and then there are those luxury reads yeah. that we save for those moments when we need that kind of that time for pleasure yeah. Joe, you're you're itching I am and I'm itching to come in because I've the two words that keep coming into my mind as I'm hearing you're talking all three of you talking then is that balance between the skill and the will and I think the research that's come out of the uh, Teachers as Readers research that Theresa Kremen's done has showed that actually the skill of reading is really important. So teaching those skills is essential. But actually, unless children have the will to read, those skills are actually not going to be utilised really well. So it's balancing having that enjoyment alongside that skill. And when you talk about is it always reading for pleasure, I think reading does lots of things. When we set up originally for reading uh, children's literature being part of the programme when the students come in, it was how do we engage with the students when you're in school most of the time? And, And I set up a virtual community where we could share books on our what we had then was Blackboard because it was in 2013 and what is now Moodle and it was a way of the students being able to engage virtually with each other when they weren't with each other to share which books they'd read that they really thought were great and to show how they'd creatively use them in the classroom and at the end of the first year it was a pilot to see if it would work we took some we did some data and research around the benefits to see whether we would say the word bother doing it again because obviously it's a very busy year we don't want to impact too much on the students time with things that wasn't going to work and what was wonderful was it did show that they actually developed their children's literature knowledge but the other thing we hadn't imagined that was going to come out of this was that it supported their well-being and they found that when they read books they read books to support their own well-being not just the well-being of their classrooms when they read aloud to the children everybody benefited including them, when they read at home to prepare for doing something in school with books, reading the book actually supported their own health and well-being. So we thought that was a really strong reason to carry on doing it. And another research has shown that's out there is that it, it's not just about the pleasure. It's about the well-being. It's about developing imagination. It's about developing empathy and also general knowledge. Like we said, it could be any teacher of any subject um, and vocabulary. So it could be around science. It could be around maths. And it's that kind of thing. So and I hopefully that's what we try to do is to show that there is evidence that it's more than just 
the pleasure. Although we could say that pleasure is everything and those are just things that fit within there. I mean, but that's for a longer, another discussion. Emma and I did an interesting session the other day around disadvantage. We were asking questions of our students, um, which helped them to understand whether they felt they'd had a a privileged or less privileged upbringing. One of the questions that really stuck out for me was, did you have more than 50 books in your house growing up? And if they answered yes to that question, then in, in that area, they'd had a more privileged upbringing. I mean, to what extent in your experience, do you find that this is an agent for maybe evening out inequality or, or disadvantage? Is reading for pleasure the preserve of the privileged, if we're not careful? I think I would come back at your answer to that and suggest that if we don't promote reading for pleasure within our classrooms, then we're not, we have a I suppose in a way we could say that we have um, a, a role that we're playing in that we can't assume that every child has the benefit and privilege of coming into the classroom with a home full of books. I didn't grow up in a home full of books, but I came from a very supported environment to encourage my reading. So I was I consider myself, even though I didn't have lots of books, I ha- ended up with lots of books, becoming a lover of reading. So I had a lot of support. So I consider myself having that privilege background even though I didn't have books at home however we can't assume within our classrooms that we have that book environment at home for every child and therefore it's our responsibility as teachers to create those reading communities within the classroom to give every child that opportunity to read for pleasure to find the book that opens the door for them because I believe, and I think there's probably lots of people who might agree too, is that there is a book for every child. There is yeah. a book for every person. So I think that's probably how I would come back and answer that question. I'd agree as well, actually. You know, there's children in a lot of our schools, primary, secondary, further on, there's children and young adults who never have books. That's not an aspect of their life, which is um, even considered. Their parents may be non-readers when they are at home, just it's not something that's accessible but if we as teachers make that an option they know that even though it's something that they might not be able to do at home they may never be read to they may never read at home it's something that can be theirs then in school they can come in they can hear a story they can begin to start to read a story for themselves then as joe says they can find their book or their genre or their author and continue that and reading for pleasure doesn't have to mean that you read every book when it comes out that you sort of inhale books as you see them for some people reading for pleasure may be that they read the same book over and over again they may read the same poem or the same author over and over again of course you know we want to teach them different genres or different authors but you can't sort of dictate and I think that's where it comes to is it just reading for pleasure you can't dictate how a child reads for pleasure you can only open these doors for them and that's what we do we've had these doors opened for us by the university by joe and now we're opening these doors for the children in our classes i think the other aspect is not so much the quantity of the books that are you know children have access to but the quality as well and one of the things we've done at school is to look at asking the children what they want of their library spaces so the piece of work that I'm looking at is around social environments for reading but one of the questions we asked is do the books in school reflect your um, your culture or your background or 
really really fascinating um insight into what the children felt from that and and actually no there's for, for certain minorities in the school our books don't represent their language their culture and another conference that we went to recently in bristol the mm-hmm. rfp one uh, they talked about the reflecting realities research and you know, real significant issues with black, Asian and um, minority groups not being represented in books. And they've rerun the survey again this year and there's a slight increase. But, you know, as a child in the school, you want to be able to relate to whatever book you're picking up off a shelf. So I think it's more about, not just about the quantity, but the quality of the of the text that children are accessing as well. So it's really fascinating insight. I mean, I ran it with the year two children last week, and we ended up looking for stories by Nigerian authors for for children because there's a little boy in the class who felt that, you know, he his face didn't appear on the bookshelf in school, you know. Mm. So that's another piece of work that we've kind of gone off down a, a tangent, a, a really worthwhile tangent mm. on the back of looking at social reading environments in our mm. school. Just to add to that, by developing your own knowledge of children's literature, you're able to enable children to access that wider range mm. to enable them to see themselves in books. Mm. Without that canon under our belt, we can't offer that out. Yeah. We had an interesting conversation. One of the first sessions that we met, we talked about, you know, a lot of the teachers that we'll speak to, you know, you'll say, oh, let's think about the children's authors that we know and that we admire. And it's always the same names coming up. And quite often, authors will write similar sorts of stories about similar sorts of people. And if these teachers across primary and secondary schools know, you know, great authors, but authors such as Roald Dahl, David Walliams, you know, they're not all that's out there. And they represent a very small, as Claire's mentioned, a very small minority of the world, and especially of the children in our classes. And so it's encouraging those other teachers in our schools as well to find those alternative authors. I think that was echoed in the Key Stage 2 survey that we did as well. I mean, not undermining anything that Williams or or Roald Dahl has written, but having access to the Reading for Pleasure, the UKLA, we are now pushing so many new up-and-coming authors through the school library shelves because our horizons have been broadened and therefore the children's are as well so shadowing the children's shadowing awards of new and up-and-coming authors is also exposing them to a much richer canvas of of authors and us to other teachers who are doing great things in other schools so was it Kogan Primary had their diversity awards um, and they had books that were nominated um, by the children to represent um, diversity across their school and without the community that we've got in the Reading for Pleasure group, I would never have come across that and I would never have come across the books that they'd shortlisted, which I've then been able to recommend to children and staff within my school. So it is, you know, we talk about reading communities. We we develop the reading communities in school, but it's developed my reading community beyond what I could ever have dreamed of. I'd never have even considered that I'd have such good connections from essentially what my husband calls a book club which you know it's fantastic the idea of representation came to me quite uh, hard when i started reading some of the classic things to my little girl actually we she got really into enid blight now i know it's really old school mm. um but she got a specially edited version of it read to her in which you know that both genders did the washing up and put the food oh. out and <laughs> boys never said no you girls are not coming on this yeah. nighttime adventure go to bed because i was just reading it thinking you're not hearing that i'm not reading that to you she reads it to us 
herself now, though, so she's going to realise she was had the first time around. <laughs> You've been liberal with yep. the text. <laughs> Just listening to you talk, it's um, it's really affirming to hear newly qualified teachers speaking so passionately about the impact of their involvement in research has had on their practice, but also from the sounds of your passion on your career direction progression could you just sort of clarify my hunch there what is it that you know being involved in these research endeavors has done to your careers and your progress as teachers I think that was that was one of the main benefits there were many benefits the PGC I mean it was a really full-on year but we were equipped as newly qualified teachers to grab hold of research and do something with it and and I think taking that into the school environment straight away you're kind of you're there and you're ready to go so I think um, you know I was in a really lucky position that my head teacher supported me to go on other research projects as well which we did with uh, Stirling University and worked with a cluster of schools again looking at reading and with that aspect we looked at shadowing book awards on a cluster basis so we've set up book clubs now to kind of echo that but I think we were just ready to go and you, you know you come out of the PGC with this appetite that the research will always be there really and the other thing that's been really useful is on the reading for pleasure website there's a really simple search engine that you can look for all matter of of aspects of what you want to look into and there's ready-made published research on there so for me reading environments was you know a big issue for me and for our school there is so much already published that gets you out of the blocks if you like really so mm-hmm. so and so's mm-hmm. done this and actually that's I'll have a little bit of that so you can kind of you know pick a mix yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly what you want to suit your own school as well so I think having that really amazing resource through the research uh, the reading for pleasure research has been really fantastic mm. but also the PGC equipped us to be lifelong learners mm. to really grasp you know continued professional development mm. so I think that's your kind of takeaway yeah. at the end of the PGC as well yeah and also not that you actively have to go out and do that research and you know send it off and get it on a piece of paper but day to day seeing that something's not working for a child in your class and thinking oh you know what actually I saw a really interesting piece of research on the website about you know disengaged uh, males in the classroom for example I'll go and have a look at that and see how I can use it or oh my reading area is looking a bit shabby let's actually see what the research backs up is a good idea and then seeing it working in practice and you know meaning to write every every time meaning to write an example of practice but you just try things out it gives you strategies and gives you opportunities to try it out make a mistake and then try something else and not feel alone in what you're trying to do or what you're trying to improve thank you so the um i would say it's also important to know that i gain a lot of it from it as the person that put those the group i obviously uh, put myself forward to run the cardiff group and I gain a lot from continuing to gay, engage with the, the students when they become teachers. So it's a reciprocal relationship. I think it's really important to that, that I still learn a lot from hearing from Lucy's experiences and Claire's experiences and all the others. There's, there's PGCs going back for eight years who are still coming along to the group, who started to come along to the group. But I think the other thing is, is um, I know how important it is to have that community to support that interest that will then inform the research. So what the session tries to do is to find something that grabs you and inspires you 
at the same time, you can see the purpose to develop it within your classroom, but has the research informed practice behind mm. you and, yes. and builds on that ability that you've developed as students to do that. So that, that's the aim. And we hope we, we, we try to do that. Um, so a teacher sort of curious and, and whose interest has been piqued by everything you've talked about uh, in this episode, what can they expect from their first CPD session on Reading for Pleasure? Really nice cakes. Oh, lo- <laughs> lovely cakes. Homemade cakes. Homemade okay. cakes by Claire by Douglas Claire herself. Douglas. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, always a good crowd pleaser. Yeah. yeah. Mm. L- lots of, obviously, books. Yes. Um, lots of discussion around books. Yes. Lots of support around mm. how you can develop um, some form, some, one of the research-informed practices that I talked about earlier looking at what it is you want to develop further within your class or your school and having the support and the community around you to help you to develop that Mm. because it's not just what we do in the session but it's the wider community of the reading for pleasure website and examples of practice on there that we dip into and we talk about and we share so it's about how you can go back into your classroom and develop that with the support of the community both in the group and the wider community within the kind of website and the research opportunity as well I think you know there's there's plenty of opportunity in that room we've um I mean Phil Phil from Book Trust comes and he's given us all the opportunity to review books so our children have reviewed some of the children's books that have been translated into Welsh and now they're going to be published on the uh, Mm. Book Trust uh, website so that gives our children a really meaningful authentic context to come to the um, book club write a, a really solid book review and then it goes to a meaningful place yeah. I know. should also say actually yes because it's not just teachers who come so Book Trust Cymru send a representative every time Literature Wales send a book um, a representative every time we get authors yeah. actually asking can they come to our book group and talk to the teachers so we have author profiles coming we had the children the, the first children's laureate for Wales Eloise Williams came to our last one our first one Nicola Davis who's a uh, writer writing in Wales came to, came as well and what the teachers have said around that around the book group and I'm seeing nods at the side of me is that really is inspiring when you actually meet the author as well so I think it gives you that as well it's like we're guinea pigs of the research that we know is real you know (laughs) we know that for children having an author of a book you know a real life author of a book that they can hold in their hands is hugely inspiring for their reading and then we are able to be in that position as well, you know, to see Nicola Davis and know that her books are on my bookshelf in my classroom and then to meet her and hear her talk was hugely inspiring. And then to be able to go back and with the support of, pe- uh, you know, um, Literature Wales and Book Trust Cymru to be able to get those authors into our classes so that the children can have the same experience as us as well. Mm-hmm. That's true, actually, because the, the TNR Norg involvement that you've had, the Welsh Books Council then um, have sent the authors in following the shadowing into your classes. Yeah, so we benefited, so from, benefited Catherine, from the... Catherine Fisher come in. She won last year's TNR Norg with a, a beautiful, beautiful book, The Clockwork Crow. So she came in and did a workshop with our year five and six children. The evaluation from the children was phenomenal. You know, they were truly inspired. And we've got Eloise Williams coming in 
in next month as well because um, our year six class are now looking at sea glass which was shortlisted for the tin and oil last year as well the opportunity to speak to um, Stefan what came up as well mm-hmm. another opportunity mm-hmm. so we've got support for grant application funding to co-fund some of those authors on tour visits as well so the opportunity I think is mm-hmm. is incredible from the from the group itself and lots oh. of book blethering look blethering and lots of the of publishers around Wales we've got we're connected to the other groups so there's an, there's other groups around Wales and one the group leader in Wrexham Simon Fisher has contacted all the Welsh publishers in Wales and they've donated a box of their books for each of our groups so there's always new books coming and also the obviously the Open University UKLA group send us a box every year so we get new books coming in the Cardiff Children's Literature Festival um, have donated some of their books. We've had bookshops donated proof copies. We're always getting people saying, would you like to? So there's, there's an, always an injection of new books every time, it seems, isn't there really? So we feel very blessed, actually, mm-hmm. to be having other people engaging with us, other than teachers as well, because it's enriching the experience of the group, I think. Yeah, I agree. And um, we've also got current students that come as well and um, some support staff as well come mm. to the group as well. So it's a nice, rich oh, tapestry yeah, of uh, it's not just class book lovers. And, yeah, a range of people and a range of people who use their different knowledge and, and skills and understanding of the importance of reading for children. And, you know, we don't always agree on whether we like books. We don't always agree on everything. And it's really also important to have that conversation and get other people's perspective as well. So... All rounds, just thumbs up. Pretty good. We um we haven't historically covered ourselves in glory in Wales in the PISA test results, particularly in the area of, of literacy. And a common kind of tricky time for our learners is that transition from primary to secondary. So what advice would you give to secondary practitioners about keeping that momentum that you have established in your respective schools in terms of reading for pleasure and fostering that love of, of reading for pleasure how, how do we keep that going in secondary contexts I think that's quite a tricky one because it's a big I mean my children have both gone through the transition from primary to secondary and it's just a massive leap it, it really is a big leap for for a learner I don't know you'd like to think that you know inspirational staff and teaching and the quality of teaching that you have at uh, secondary would support that mm. um, and keep again, reading aloud yeah definitely something that we've had a lot of people from mm. our group saying like year six teachers saying that their children still love 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 having story time at the end of the day so what's to say that those year seven eight nine and yeah. beyond will not love to have some story time at the end of the day but also again I think it comes down to the letting children read what they love rather than enforcing them and sort of giving them an idea that at a certain age they should be reading a certain thing you know if a child wants to carry on reading you know you mentioned Dina Blyton earlier if that's the genre or if that's what they love encourage them to keep reading that because they may well find at one point that they get switched off reading by somebody who says no no no, you shouldn't be reading that let them read what they want to read because then they will continue to read then because there's an interesting tension there isn't there linking back to what you said at the start about feeling like as an adult i ought not be reading children's Mm. literature now Mm. so i wonder if you know that that very important message let them read what they want to read is is something that needs to have wider resonance in the secondary context and i wonder whether because we move into subjects at secondary should perhaps non-english subject teachers at secondary be explicitly talking about reading because I'm not sure we do. 
those of us who don't do English, yeah. they should be modelling that the same way as the primary teachers mm. model it. Perhaps. Even in sort of informal book talk, casual, you know, seeing a child is reading something or seeing a child has an interest in a certain aspect of your subject and then saying, oh, you know what, I, I can recommend a really great book about that. But then it comes down again, and this is why we have the teachers group, to having those teachers who are readers. Mm. And that's the most important thing, isn't it? It is. So if I'm a, a busy teacher now sitting somewhere in the UK, poised with my pen and paper, ready to go and contact someone about this, who is it I speak to? You've spoken about the UKLA, the OU, Book Trust. Who should they go straight to? Well, they really should, yeah. If they're in Cardiff and they want to come along to the group, contact me. Joe Bowers and they are all welcome if they're in a different area they can still contact me and I can guide them to other book communities in different areas we're not blessed with many in Wales at the moment no are so we, we want to build more if we can one in Newport one in Cardiff one in North Wales yeah there's one in South uh, South East Wales mm-hmm. uh, South West Wales as so, well so we do yeah more groups so to contact me and I can point them in the right direction is the possibly the simplest way to start would you agree yeah Okay, thank you for that, Joe. We'll put your contact details in the credits. <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned the Reading for Pleasure website as well. Yes, so I would definitely say that I will guide them towards the Reading for Pleasure website and I will put them in touch with the um, main contact who sets up Reading for Pleasure book groups across the country. So that will be the starting point for them. So if they need that guidance, I can, I can ping those people in the right direction to where they need to go. I'm very happy to if it means we develop more communities of reading for pleasure. Thank you, Joe. Well, as the rogue power tool operative outside carries on uh, <laughs> making an enormous noise, should we move on to our regular slots? Yeah, you've been kind enough to do your homework for us. Thank you. And we've got a mashup, first of all, of well-being and something to try. So what have you got for us, Joe? Um, well, we thought we had a little chat before you came in so that we could come to a, a decision on something new to try. And I think we probably mentioned it already but we think that actually to choose a book that you uh, and read it to read a children's book and to take a book in to read aloud to the children that you teach in whatever context and in whatever relevance in terms of genre and subject for you and just see how the children enjoy being read aloud to whatever their age lovely thank you for that and finally just to end our lovely deep discussion and podcast episode around reading for pleasure we're going to go around the table and say what we're reading for pleasure i thought i'd start us off i am actually reading a sarah waters book called fingersmith and sarah waters i think we had her in to cardiff met a few years ago didn't we and i highly highly recommend her work if you like uh, kind of 19th century kind of victorian dark interesting stories about interesting characters from that era then she's the one for you what about you Claire what are you reading I'm currently reading The House with Chicken Legs by Sophie Anderson which was recommended at uh, a book blether a couple of months back so I've just started that one it would be remiss of me not to get a Morag Hood mention in though so anything by Morag Hood uh, picture book I I'm a big super fan of Morag so yeah also a good one for me I'm reading um, an adult literary at the moment like you and a children's book it's usually the same thing I've got a couple on the go and I'm reading Once Upon a River by Diane Setterfield, um, which is, I would probably describe as storytelling of the highest order. It's got stories within stories within stories. So if you like a dense, characterful story, it's wonderful. And for children's book at the moment, I can't put it down. I keep picking it up and I keep recommending it to everybody. 
So at this moment in time, it would be The Boy, the Mole, the Fox and the Horse by Charles Maxey because it's just one of those books which I think if you haven't found it, you probably want to find it because it's just got so many things every day that you read and you think that'll help me get through today. Yeah, I've seen that doing the rounds on Twitter, some beautiful illustrations. Absolutely beautiful illustrations Mm. and absolutely sort of like wonderful heart, thoughtful things that just make you think and help you through whatever easy, difficult, tough times you may be going through. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. Thanks, Joe. Lucy, what about you? Currently, I'm reading Margaret Atwood's uh, classic, The Handmaid's Tale, in preparation Ooh. for reading The Testaments. Um, and I've also got Eloise Williams' Gaslight on my bedside table, waiting, waiting for that moment, like we said earlier, that moment of luxury when I can truly enjoy it. Lovely. Thank you. What about you, Tom? Well, I'm currently probably bringing the only non-fiction book to the table after we had quite an interesting session here, didn't we, about personalities and things like that and teams here at work. So I am currently reading uh, the book Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking after I was outed as a painful introvert in that session. <laughs> Who's <laughs> it by? Met. It's by Susan Kane. Uh, but my, my little girl, if we're going to do children's books, my little girl is currently enjoying uh, the third Harry Potter book. Oh. And uh, my little boy's favourite book at the moment is, I think it's called I've Lost My Mum by Junior, Julia Donaldson. <gasps> oh. mm. <laughs> <laughs> had a lot of mm. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We like yeah. that. Joe, Claire, Lucy, it's been a delight speaking to you about reading for pleasure today. Thanks for coming on our podcast, and we look forward to maybe linking up with you again in the future to talk some more about what you've been doing. Thank you very much. Thank Thank you very much. That was Emma and Tom's PGC podcast, presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. The special guests this episode were Claire Douglas from Cleaver Primary School. Lucy Matthews from Flanedin Primary School and me, Joe Bowers, from Cardiff Met. Our unscheduled special guest was whoever was going rogue with a leaf blower outside the window. <laughs> if you'd like to find more about Reading for Pleasure groups or you want to set up your own, you can contact me at jbowers at cardiffmet.ac.uk. We're all off for a good book blether now about our favourite books. Until next time, take care and enjoy teaching. <laughs>